Um, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever met somebody who is just good at whatever they do? No matter what they touch, it turns to gold. You ever met someone like that? I was married to someone like that. And that was really annoying at times because he, he, he was just good at everything he did. He was brilliant. He was funny, hilariously funny. He was a world-class athlete, number one draft choice in the nation out of high school in soccer. He was incredibly musically talented. Um, the guy just had, I used to call him a 12-talent guy. You know, it's like the, the, the parable of the talents. One gets 10, one gets five, one gets one. I said, you know, God gave him 10, and then he's like, eh, throw in a couple more. You ever know somebody like that? I mean, those of you who knew Eric knew that he was a 12-talent guy. We're going to be getting to know a guy like that. Um, in the Bible, his name is David. And we're going to be spending the next several weeks getting to know this guy and, and getting to understand why it is that the, the Bible refers to him as a man after God's own heart. And I know that's a confusing concept for many people who know his track record because the guy was certainly not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But we're going to get to know him. And today we're going to talk about the introduction to David. This is the beginning of our new series called uh, David in 3D. We're going to try to bring all the different aspects. I think a lot of times you'll hear a message about David and it'll be, you know, oh, he was such a sinner, you know. And then the other message is, oh, he was so amazing at this or whatever. And we're going to try to bring the full, full gamut that the real guy the human being, the actual human life of David, a guy who really actually lived and walked upon the face of the earth. So today we're going to be talking about God sees. And I think, you know, it was so interesting when we were, when we were worshiping because I was thinking about how significant the concept of God seeing us really, really is, and how he sees us. And the Bible says he knows our needs even before we ask. He's a very attentive God, and he sees us. And, and throughout just kind of getting to know David, today's just kind of a little bit of an introduction and a, a little bit of background. But I really believe the word of the Lord to us today is that he sees. He sees us. And he is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. So who is David? David, historians think that he lived around a thousand years before Christ. Um, he was actually a homie for Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. So they were born in the same place. He was the youngest. And apparently he was born like way far. He would be what some people would call an accident. Like he was the one that wasn't planned. How many of you know all babies are planned by God? Yeah. There's no such... A, if you're a person and, and you were told that, oh yeah, you're an accident. Mm -mm. Nope, you're not. God planned you. Your life is significant. So maybe your parents didn't plan you, but they could have they thought of others. Anyway, <clears throat> so, no accidents. <laughs> so David was a lowly shepherd um, in those days, shepherds, that was not considered a, a high-profile occupation. It was dirty. They were out in the field. It was hard work. They're hanging out with sheep. And that's what David did. 
That's what he was doing when the Lord decided to call him. But it said of him in 1 Samuel 16, 1, I provided for myself a king among Jesse's sons. So what happened was a little background. So Israel cried out for a king. And God's like, I'm your king. And they're like, no, we want a king. So God gave them a king in the form of Saul. Well, that was a really bad idea because Saul turned out to be, I mean, we're going to get to know Saul along the way too, because you can't get to know David without getting to know Saul. And Saul was just, I mean, I don't know. Psychologists would probably diagnose him with all kinds of stuff, manic depression, and probably he's paranoid schizophrenic, and he's just got a lot of, he's got a lot of stuff going on. But anyway, so Saul was not a great king. So the Lord removed him as king and told the prophet Samuel, he says, I have provided for myself a king among Jesse's sons. And so what happened was they consecrated Jesse and his sons. Consecrate means just to kind of prepare them or to set them aside or to to elevate them to the status of being, oh, I want to say something about temple worthy, but it's not like that. It's, it's, you know, preparing them to go meet with the Lord. And so um, it says that they consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So there were seven sons that they brought before Samuel and every one of them, they'd say, how about this one? Look at him. He's amazing. And Samuel's like, nope, it's not him. And then they bring the next one, Shammah. Is it, is it him? No, nope, I'm not feeling it. So then they bring the next one, Abinadab. No, pretty sure that's not him. This happened with seven of Jesse's sons and none of them. And so they're all really confused. Well, I think this is hilarious. So Samuel says, "Um, so are these all your kids? Like, is this it? Because I'm not, none of them. It's none of them. And then Jesse's like, oh yeah, well, there's another one. (laughs) Like, talk about being overlooked, right? (laughs) Talking about being the cast aside when he wasn't consecrated. And it says of him, it says, Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. So pretty much, you know, you've seen the best of what I have. It's not him. (laughs) That's kind of, this is coming from his dad. Okay. Talk about having issues. Like, really? Come on, dad. So, so basically, I mean, Jesse didn't even think there was a chance. He didn't, he thought, you know what, David's not, he's not up to the, he's not up to the task. But Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him and we will not sit down until he comes here. Because Samuel was so convinced that the Lord had spoken to him. He didn't give him the name, but he did say, I'm going to give you a king through Jesse's sons. And so when they were all presented to him, he's like, nope, nope. And so it says, and so they sent and brought him in. Now David was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes and he was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. And so I'm sure that the brothers, like these are the older brothers. These are the ones that are skilled in war. And these are the really kind of more sophisticated ones. I'm sure they were all shaking their heads going, what? David? Seriously? Like he's, 
got sheep dung on his feet. Like this guy can't be, this guy cannot be the king of Israel. Like Samuel's not listening. He's not hearing right. I mean, I'm sure it created all kinds of confusion. And then for poor Jesse, who's like, oh, I didn't even think of him. I mean, imagine. And so Samuel's like, this is going to be the king of Israel. So David was completely overlooked, completely underestimated. And I just, when I read that, I thought, that's us. That's us. We are just like David, right? In our own minds, we underestimate ourselves. We underestimate what God wants to do through us. We, we don't think that we're worthy. We don't think that we're of any value. We think that we're imposters because we know ourselves. We know our own wickedness. We know our own selfishness. And we don't feel qualified to serve God. We don't feel qualified to live in a way or to represent the King of Kings. Am I right? Yeah? But yet, Jesse didn't even recognize his son, but the Lord did. And the Lord said, he's just out there being faithful, just doing what he's supposed to be doing. He was watching over the sheep, which I don't know about you, but when the Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way, we are compared to sheep. And as you know, Sheep are dumb. Sheep are so dumb. <laughs> you are so dumb. But I, I talked to this guy at the state fair, and he had sheep, and I'm like, what's the deal with sheep? Why do they get such a bad rap? And he goes, they are, like, say, for example, if they, if they go headfirst into a fence, they're not smart enough to know to back out or to turn around. They'll just stand there <laughs> until the shepherd comes and pulls them away. Sheep are not known for their great intellect. And I just think we are just like David when we are just being faithful and just doing our thing. God is watching. God sees you. God sees how precious you are. You know, when I used to hear that that verse in the Bible that says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are wholly his. That used to kind of intimidate me. Or when it would say, you know, the Lord knows your heart. Because I was like, oh, my heart's deceitful above all things. Who could know it? Well, God. And yet, he still likes us. And he's still chosen us and called us to do amazing things. And yet we believe that lie that says, nah, I've got too much dung on my feet. Right? We don't believe God could use us. We feel like we're not up to the, up to the task. And here's a secret. You're not apart from him. But when he selects you and he pulls you out and calls you and says, I see you. He wants to do great things in and through you. And that's what his desire is for us. That is what his desire is. So it says here, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. He anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. 
And so as we get to know David, we're going to get to see that. We're going to watch how the Holy Spirit rushed upon him and, and completely used him even when he blew it. And so we're going to dispel a lot of lies that the enemy sets up against us. And I think you guys, especially in this area, I believe that there, we are always contending against a spirit of a works mentality. That we're saved by our works. I think that that is a spirit that likes to reside even in the Christian church and lie to us and tell us that we have to get our act all cleaned up before God can use us. Or we, you know, we're, we, have to, we have to do all the right things or God's not going to accept us. And we're going to dispel that as a lie. Because God is our father. He, and he's a good father. And he's an accepting father. So David was a shepherd. And so what I think is that as he was out in the fields, he was practicing because it, he was also a very skilled musician. I think he was out there with his harp because, I mean, he's sitting there with sheep. I think he was just out there practicing, just rehearsing. He, as, we, as we get to know him, we're going to find out he was a really good friend. He was besties with Jonathan. He was a crazy, amazing, talented poet. He wrote somewhere 70 some of the psalms there's 150 psalms he wrote over half of them i mean he's he's a gifted sensitive tender insightful poet writing the psalms which after eric died man the the psalms that that was my daily bread i survived because of those psalms um he was also a warrior he was an incredible warrior. And um, he, was, he was raised in what's called the Iron Age. So there was the Stone Age, then there was the Bronze Age, then there was the Iron Age. The first mention of iron is actually in the story of David and Goliath, which we're going to get to in a couple of weeks. And the, the sword that Goliath had was actually made of iron, which was revolutionary at that time. That's the first mention of it. Um, David was a man of war, even though, you know, he wrote the Psalms and he was a musician and everything. Don't underestimate his power in war. And, you know, we've been talking a lot as a church about spiritual warfare. And, and so we're going to be talking about that as well, about war and how do we engage in war in a spiritual war. You know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We aren't, our fight is not against people ever, ever, ever. It's against principalities and rulers of the darkness. It's against lying spirits. It's against, we, and especially in the body of Christ, we don't have enemies in the body of Christ. And like I told you last week, if this church is known for anything, I want us to be known for being loving, being so loving and so accepting that we're not the kind of church where people walk in and they feel judged or they feel unworthy, or they feel like they don't belong here. I want people to come in and know they are deeply loved by God and by us. So David was a warrior. Um, he was also a really good leader in war, in battle. He trained the soldiers, and he actually trained them to be able... So say, for example, if a soldier was right-handed, if he got injured, David trained them to be ambidextrous so that they could switch their, their instrument of war 
to the other hand. That's crazy, huh? Because a lot of times, you know, that, I mean, when you're doing hand-to-hand combat, imagine how brutal and how violent that would be. And, and you're thinking, I'm going to cut the guy on his, on his arm where he's got his sword or whatever, right? Isn't that a good strategy? And so that's why David trained him to be just as skilled with their other hand as they were with their strong hand. He was a really brilliant strategist. Um, so he was amazing at these things. He was a wonderful shepherd. He was a great musician. He was an awesome poet. He was a great leader in times of battle, but his home life, man, he was terrible. He was a terrible husband. He was a polygamist. In those days, that they just were. He had concubines besides. He was an adulterer. Terrible father. Ugh, his kids out of control. One of his kids rose up and said, I think I'm going to be the king now. I mean, his sons were horrible. He was not a good dad. He blew it in that area. Um, he married a, a woman named uh, Michal or Macal, or you can say it all different ways. Macal, I think is the right way. But she wasn't his only wife. But, but it does say of her that he loved her. But he totally messed up with the whole Bathsheba thing. So then he, he deceived Uriah, says, hey, Uriah, come home and sleep with your wife. And Uriah's like, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I'll sleep outside of your house like a dog. And David's like, no, no, seriously. He's thinking, if he does the math, he's going to figure out. And so Uriah is this loyal servant of David's. He's laying outside. And how does David repay him? He has him killed. Okay, so wait. Doesn't the Bible say David is a man after God's own heart? What's with that? Sleeps with a guy's wife, deceives him, and then has him killed for his faithfulness to him? This is a man after God's own heart, right? Anyway, so Bathsheba ends up having the baby. The baby dies as a result of um, whatever complications. And so David goes into this grief this morning over the baby, and the rest of his sons were losers. They were all terrible. So he was a horrible guy at home, bad father, bad parent. So for all of us who have regrets from our parenting, <laughs> at least our kids didn't, uh, didn't try to kill us. So we're, we're doing okay. He was also a very, very wise king. Now, if he could have applied some of his leadership skills at home, that would have been great, but he didn't. He was a strategist in battle, in politics, and in leadership. As a matter of fact, he decided, so there were these other cities that Saul had made capital cities, but David was, was wise enough to know that, you know what, if I do that, then they're going to think it's, their allegiance is to Saul. And so David made Jerusalem. Anybody heard of Jerusalem? That is the capital of Israel. And that's why they call Jerusalem the city of David, even though he was born in Bethlehem. It's called the city of David to this day. Isn't that so cool? And finally, the United States of America has recognized that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. We didn't come up with the idea, but we recognized it. So the whole... All of this stuff, up and down, all of these good characteristics, wise and great strategist and great leader and good musician and poet and shepherd and king and all of this. All right, he's a 
bad dad, bad father. But is he really what you would call a man after God's own heart? I mean, if you think about it in the Bible, you think about a guy like Joseph. Like there's nothing negative about Joseph other than kind of in the beginning, he's kind of a braggart, right? He brags to his brothers. But wouldn't you think Joseph would would be more of a, a man after God's own heart, right? Or somebody more like that than David? So why is he a man after God's own heart? It says in 1 Samuel 13, 13, Samuel said to Saul, Saul, remember Saul's the terrible king. It says, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So he's saying, Saul, if you would have just listened to me, your kingdom would still be reigning in Jerusalem or in Israel. It says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded. So this is the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 13. And then in the New Testament in Acts 21 or 13, 21, it says, the people asked for a king and God gave them Saul. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he, God, testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. And of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he has promised. So, so Jesus came from the lineage of David. So a lot of times people, what do you guys think probably the, the worst thing that David ever did was? You think in the Bath, Bathsheba thing, that was pretty bad, right? Right? That was pretty bad. But really, like, only two people died as a result of that. The worst sin that David committed was when he took a census. Now, that doesn't seem like that should be that big a deal, except that the Lord had told him not to. But because of his pride, because he was like, you know what, I want to know how many people I'm the king over. It was like this arrogance in him that wanted to, wanted to see how big is my kingdom. And because of that, there was a plague and 70,000 people died. 70,000. I mean, if you read, as we read through the, the story of David, we're going to see that hundreds of thousands of people died as a result of David. The man after God's own heart. So why was he the man after God's own heart? Anybody have any ideas? Why was he considered a man after God's own heart? First of all, because he was humble. It says in 2 Samuel 24, after he took the census and after it says, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant for I have done foolishly. So he wasn't trying to defend himself. He wasn't getting all, you know, backed up and trying to come up with all the reasons why he did it. He's just like, you know what? I blew it. This is what makes David a man after God's own heart is because he's humble. He's willing to admit I was wrong. (laughs) Eric and I used to joke about the I am wrong. Remember in the old, old cartoons where um, I think it was Daffy Duck would do something really stupid and then his head would turn into a donkey and he'd go, yeah. Eric's like, that's I was wrong. Yeah. 
you know, or I am wrong, that just to admit it, just, just not to defend yourself, not to make up all the reasons why, you just say, I was wrong. Do you know the word convicted comes from the same root as the word convinced? To be convicted by the Holy Spirit just means you're convinced that what you did was not okay, that it wasn't right. And how difficult is it for us to just admit when we're wrong? We get all defensive and we get self-protective and, and it's just, it's so freeing to just be able to go, you know what, I blew it. I was wrong. It's just so much easier. So David was humble. That's one reason he was a man after God's own heart. He was also very honoring. As we'll see in the weeks to come, he over and over and over honored his leader. He still viewed Saul as his leader. And he, and he kept saying, I will never lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So he was really honoring. And he defended Saul, even though Saul was a jerk to him. He was very faithful. He was a faithful, faithful friend to Jonathan He was loyal, loyal to Israel, loyal to the Lord. He was sincere. I mean, so many times when Saul's trying to kill him or whatever, he's like, what have I done? What did I do to you? Why are you so mad at me? And he was sincere. He really actually wanted to know, not recognizing that it was simply Saul's jealousy of him. I mean, ultimately, that was what led to Saul's hatred of him. And he was repentant. David was a man of deep repentance. You know, he wrote, as I mentioned, he wrote half the Psalms, over half the Psalms. And Psalm 51, which is one of my favorite Psalms. And it says, the intro says, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him and after he had gone, after David had gone into Bathsheba. Now, David could have had that section taken away. You know, But David wanted people to know, no, I messed up. And I want people to know what I really did. Because he was a man of true repentance. And what repentance means is just changing your mind, turning the other direction. That's what repentance means. So the thing about David, he was humble. He was honoring. He was faithful. He was loyal. He was sincere. He was repentant. So our question today is, how can we be people after God's own heart? Knowing that God sees everything about us, he knows everything about us, he knows when we blow it, he knows when we mess up, but he still has a call on each and every one of our lives. He still has great things for us to do, no matter what. No matter if you're a mom at home, changing diapers and and raising children or you're a teenager and you just pray for your high school, pray for your college, start a Bible study at your college, whether you're on an adventure team, whether you're just ministering to widows and orphans in distress, whether you're, you're, you're cleaning toilets, whether you're serving in kids ministry, whether you're ushering, whatever it happens to be, We do not understand the significance of what God has called us to do. And these are great and important and significant things. And that's what God is asking. He's asking us to be in the same way that David was just out keeping the sheep. And that's when God poured out his spirit on him. 
He sees you. The picture that I got was, you know, the little kid when they're, when they're at the swimming pool, they're like, mommy, mommy, mom, mom, mommy, watch, mommy, watch me. And then they do some like really lame thing, you know? <laughs> and then the mom's like, oh, that was amazing, right? You know, or they, they go, watch a hike and jump. You're like, wow. I could almost fit a toothpick under that, <laughs> you know? And they're just like, daddy, daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch, right? Kids do this. They want to know that mommy is watching. They want to know daddy's watching me. And in the same way that God was, God was watching over David, even in the times when he messed up royally, when he blew it so badly, God was still looking at David with so much love and affection. He didn't love what he was doing, but he loved David. And that's who we are to God. As we just offer ourselves, he's watching you as you do your lame little stunt in the swimming pool. (laughs) You know, who knows? Think about what Sarah and Brian said. Think about that. Somebody just greeted them. You know, we think, oh, what's a big deal? It's a big deal. When Jesus says, you know, give someone a cup of cold water in my name, that's a big deal. You're thinking it's just a cup of water. But what are the implications? What is the significance of what we do when we really just do it unto God? He's watching and he is so pleased. He's so crazy about you. He loves you so much and the enemy of our souls does not want us to believe that. The enemy of our souls wants us to believe we have messed up, we have gone too far, we have blown it beyond any kind of coming back. We're just not that great anyway compared to other people. He wants us to believe all these lies about ourselves when God says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He sees you. You're that little kid who's just, he's watching. It says that he's, he's watching intently. It says that, 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 that the ears of the Lord are attentive to the cry of the righteous. He's so crazy about you. And I, I cannot stress it enough. It's not a small thing. You know, I, I mean, people say, oh, you know, I'm not getting fed. Well, get, get this, okay? I'm feeding you now, okay? God loves you. You know, they asked this great theologian, I can't remember his name right now, but he was one of the greatest theologians. They said, what would you want to say to us on your deathbed? What is it that you want Christians to know? You want believers to know? And he said, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. 
It's Christianity 101. But we try to skip past that and get into the deeper things, into the meat. No, get this, people. Jesus loves me. This I know. I have a recording. I went to uh, when I was five. Um, so it was in the dark ages. It was back in the iron age. And I went to this. Um, they had the, vo- the Viking voyage. This is in Minnesota. So of course, um, the Viking voyage. And I went to this thing and they, um, they had all of us singing. Um, Jesus loves me. And I was five. <laughs> And they said, whoever sings it with the most passion or whatever word they use, they said, whoever sings it, we're going to make a recording of you to take home. You guys remember the um, round black vinyl? Now they're really, now it's cool again, but for a while there it was kind of antiquated. So I was just sitting there and I was just singing at the top of my lungs. Yes, Jesus loves me. And they picked me out. And they brought me up on the stage and they did a recording, which was probably horrible, but they did a recording of me singing it with all of my heart. And that's the story for you. As you sing and as you worship and as you just give yourself to him with all of your imperfections, he just wants you to know he's watching you. He probably records it and has a collection of your praises and of your singing unto him. One of my favorite psalms um, is Psalm 139. And I suggest, I, I suggest a lot of times to people when they're having problems at home, read the Bible out loud in your house. Just walk around your house and read the psalms out loud. Psalm 112, Psalm 139. It's the one that starts, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and you're acquainted with all of my ways. He sees. He sees you. You search out my path. Even before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before me, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high, I can't even grasp it. Where can I go from your spirit, O Lord? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, even there, you're with me. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth, or the sea, I'm sorry. Even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. And if I say, hey, the darkness is going to cover me, the light around me would be night. But even darkness isn't dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. Darkness is as light. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made and wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. If this doesn't make a case for life, it begins at conception. I don't know what does, and I don't want to get political, but I'm just talking science. 
and the reality. It says, how precious are your thoughts, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count your thoughts, they're more than the sand. If I awake, I'm still with you. And this is the part I just love. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any grievous or offensive or wicked way in me. And lead me, could I get a Kleenex? And lead me in the way everlasting. Thank you so much. Could you stand? Could we read this together? Could you make this your prayer? Knowing that God sees you and God knows your heart and he still likes you. He's still crazy about you. He knows everything about you, everything there is to know. And and he has called you. It says he has chosen you. He has called you before the foundations of the earth to do great things in his name. No matter how menial or insignificant it may seem, God has called you for greatness. Can we read this together? Search me, oh God. Can you put your hands out? And know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any grievous, offensive, wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Oh God, we just come before you and we thank you that you're so good and that you see us. Lord, even when what we do seems really weird and lame and dumb, when we do it in your name, Jesus, you're so pleased with us. You're so amazed, God, just with how much you love us. Lord, you're, you're overwhelmed with your love for us, even though I don't know if you can really be overwhelmed, but God, you're just so crazy about us. Lord, we want to get it. We want to get that today. So if there's anything, Lord, in any of us that is keeping us from really grasping how deeply you love us, or if there's anything that's preventing us, Lord, we just want to come before you now and we just want to say, cleanse us. Cleanse us with hyssop, Lord. Cleanse us. Make us like you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And and God, we thank you, Lord that you see us even when we're overlooked even when we are underestimated even when we're despised you see us you see us when we're betrayed you see us when we blow it when we mess up even when we rebel against you you see us Lord and you draw us back your kindness draws us back because you're so nice and you you want us to return to you because you want to pour out blessings on us you want to pour out your spirit Lord, even when we feel like we're not worthy, you see us and you love us. God, even when we believe we're too far gone, Lord, I thank you that it's only one step back to reconciliation with you. And Lord, that's what we want to do today. Search us, oh God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our anxious thoughts and see if there's anything in us, God, preventing us from drawing near to you, Lord. That is the desire of our hearts. 
can we just do that together? If, if you're a person right now and, and you're just feeling like there's something that's keeping you from that intimacy with God or you're feeling like you're too far away or you've blown it or you're not worthy or you're overlooked or whatever, if that's you and you just want to reconnect with him, you just want to step into that intimacy with him, can you just lift your hands up like this? Just say, Lord, I want all of you. Lord, I want all of you. We want everything, Lord. We want to know you, Lord. We want to know you more. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you see us. You see everything about us, and you even know our thoughts before we think them. That's crazy. Thank you, Lord. Also, I I just want to give the opportunity, if you're a person and you have never said yes to Jesus, you've never given yourself over to him, you've never fully um, surrendered to him, with everybody else, could you would you mind just closing your eyes and bowing your heads? And and if that's you, if you wanna if you wanna know this love and receive forgiveness that, that only Jesus can offer you, just wanna ask if you'll just look up at me as a symbol that you wanna receive the forgiveness of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Lord, we thank you for such a great salvation. We thank you for who you are. Lord, make us us a loving people as you love through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.